Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Today we have a very interesting subject, entrepreneurship in Eastern Europe and Russia. Our host for the episodes in this season is Paul Singh. Paul Singh is the CEO of Startup Strategies, where he advises various startups on how to grow their businesses. He's also an adjunct professor of entrepreneurship at Northeastern University. He is a successful entrepreneur and has sold three companies after starting them and being part of that and taken one public. He has worked for over 20 years in various areas, including M&A, business development and marketing. Over to Paul Singh. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, we are uh, back with the global business and we're talking about startup ecosystems in the global business context this season. Uh, today, I have with me a very special guest, Alexandra Sasha Johnson, and she is founder and managing director of the Global Technology Capital and president of the Global Technology Symposium, a premier investor conference on global emerging markets held annually in Silicon Valley since 2003. Uh, she is a active board member of several tech companies, including Grid Dynamics, Vision Labs, and Rollit. And she's been a venture capitalist before. Uh, she was a managing director of uh, DFJ VTB Capital Aurora Group, specializing in investments in the developing world. And uh, she also had her own firm, Landbridge Capital LLC, an investment firm which targeted US companies commercializing Russian technology. And prior to that, uh, she's been a CEO of uh, a startup, Libritas Inc., a venture-backed provider of IT products and managed telecom services for small, medium, and Fortune 500 companies. She's been named among the top 20 most influential men and women in Bay Area uh, finance in 2015. And uh, the one thing that really uh, struck me uh, when I look at her education background not only has she got a PhD from University of St. Petersburg's, but she also has an MBA from the University of California, Berkeley. So let's welcome Sasha. Thank you for having me. Hi, everyone. Yeah, it's my uh, pleasure to welcome you, Sasha. And, uh, you know, I think you have a very interesting uh, background, uh, you know, having worked both in Silicon Valley and outside of Silicon Valley. So I, I'm sure... Uh, a lot of our listeners will get a lot out of, uh, uh, you know, listening to your experience. Uh, uh, I mean, you have been an entrepreneur, you've been an investor, and, uh, you know, and now a mentor to a mentor and board member to various uh, companies. So I just kind of wanted to get a little sense of, you know, how did you sort of do so many things in your career? What you know, walk me through a little bit about your background so the our listeners can get a better perspective on who they're listening to. Um, you know, when uh, I was in the beginning of my career, one of my mentors suggested that when you write a resume, it should read as if you planned everything. So that one job leads to another and looking back, it's, it's all very consistent. But that's not how it works in real life. I, I don't think I planned to be an entrepreneur. I didn't know that word when I was growing up in Soviet Union. 
I had no idea what venture capital was. And uh, it, it's, um, yeah, and several years later, well, actually 20 years later to be exact, when I look back and say, yeah, I guess we're all born entrepreneurial. It just, whatever happens later in life, when somebody decides to take a job with the government, somebody decides to work for a big company. When I first came to California, and that was uh, a long time ago, and uh, I entered one of the best schools in, in the world, that's UC Berkeley, uh, everybody in my class, and that is American students, wanted um, to become entrepreneurs and have small businesses. In my mind, a successful person should work for a big company. And then when I see my classmates now, it's really the irony is that most of them work for big companies and I ended up being absolutely entrepreneurial. <laughs> I guess that's in the air. That's what Silicon Valley does to people. It brings out that spirit in you when you want to create something that didn't exist before. And uh, looking at everything I've done, that's what it is. I like doing something which didn't exist before. Interesting. So, so when you uh, came to Silicon Valley uh, 20 years ago, I think the entrepreneur uh, ecosystem was still pretty solid, but probably not what it is today. So how have you seen that change? Well, you know, again, even while being at school and again, looking back, I think it's more than 20 years ago, I guess. And, uh, um, and being an, entre an entrepreneur was not exactly a positive, they didn't have a positive connotation. It's only um, when um, this whole dot-com boom happened and uh, it became so um, oh, interesting is not the word, but everybody wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so the ecosystem was developing in front of my eyes in, in, in here. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in Silicon Valley. And uh, um, another interesting thing is what I'm observing now, it's very similar to what happened when just internet happened uh, with this whole blockchain-based technologies and, and all those cryptocurrencies and it just, it's in the air. So it's interesting that now that I'm an insider in Silicon Valley, I can see another cycle which I already am observing, having an experience of being inside the other cycle with internet. It's fascinating. So it's kind of interesting you mentioned that, um, you know, the dot-com era when we were all here, uh, we saw the economy go up, you know, a lot and then fall almost rapidly also uh, at when the dot-com bust occurred. And, uh, but Silicon Valley seems like they recovered pretty nicely from it. Well, you know, when the tide lifts all the boats, right, as they say, mm -hmm. and even uh, after the bust and uh, all those disappearing small companies, you know, as a result of that uh, boom, we, we have five humongous companies that changed everything we're doing in life, right? If you mm -hmm. can imagine a world without Amazon or Google, right? But that's, that's the, so what I'm saying that if in this current uh, boom, which is happening uh, around the blockchain-based um, technologies companies, if we end up having five more Googles, can you imagine what will happen to the world? It's, it's fascinating. It's, it's, you know, Silicon Valley will never cease to amaze the world. It's uh, because I do believe that these companies will happen here. 
Yeah. So, so let me ask you this uh, before we jump on to a different topic, because you raised this interesting question. Uh, you know, imagine that the world without Amazon and Google, I mean, I would think that if you, you are uh, trying to help a startup ecosystem, you really want to have a world where your startups become the new Amazon and Google. So <laughs> that's going to happen. It's going to happen, really. Well, yeah, we all hope to to create this new Google, but um, in, in reality, there is so many interesting companies which are useful for the ecosystem, and uh, maybe they will not become Googles, but it, it, you know they make the environment um, just conducive and positive for bigger companies to function in in, in that space. And as an investor, um, of course, you know, I, I, I actually don't believe that you have to invest in 10 companies and, and all of them will die except for one. Mm-hmm. Whenever um, we invest in a company, we, every company needs to, to, to work out. It okay. doesn't matter how long it will take. And again, people forget that Google didn't happen overnight. And we keep saying Google just, you know, for the sake of the, an example. It took 10 years before it became a solid mm-hmm. company. And uh, in, in the current environment, uh, you know, people would say, okay, this is the company, and they expect it to develop something immediately and become big in two years, but that's not how it works. It's a long, long process. So the company, it, it's like, you know, it's, it's a child. A child, mm-hmm. you, know, you need to learn how to walk before run. But it's, it's kind of interesting. You're, you're taking a little contradictory position to most of how I sort of see the various venture funds where I keep hearing, hey, you know, you're going to make 100 investments and maybe one or two will become the likes of, you know, billion dollar companies like Google's and others. But while, uh, you know, majority of the companies will not do well and then few will be, you know, in sports parlance will barely make it, right? And will just probably return to extra capital. Uh, but what I'm hearing from you is your philosophy is more like, you know, if I've invested in this company, I'm going to do everything it takes to make them succeed. Is that? Yeah, but you know, that's why uh, when an entrepreneur is looking for a funding, they should uh, really do their own uh, homework and due diligence to see what funds they want to work with because uh, all funds are different. And yes, uh, if you have a lot of money under management, and uh, you are in this numbers game and you can put money into, I don't know, 60, 70 companies simultaneously, then, okay, some of them don't work out. And uh, it, it, it does happen. Uh, but um, I am of a personal belief, if, if I personally am involved, I don't want to have more than five companies at a time because it just, uh, I think that a human being cannot concentrate uh, on more than, than, than five. And, uh, and then... Uh, if uh, my company, I'm called my entrepreneur is a partner, is doing his or her best, then uh, we're partners. It means mm-hmm. that uh, as an investor, I have the, um, we're in the same boat. And uh, I, I don't think that people who are giving money are superior to um, entrepreneurs who build the companies. As a matter of fact, I believe we're in a service business where an, an, an entrepreneur is a driving force. And I know that uh, we will get into the subject of Eastern European companies, and I will say that, uh, just jumping ahead, that would be one big uh, difference in the mentality of investors. 
I think that the best Silicon Valley investors consider themselves partners uh, of entrepreneurs and they are never, and well, I mean, at least I think so. <laughs> I think so. And in Eastern Europe, I've noticed that uh, when people give money to a company, somehow they believe um, that um, they are of a different category uh, of business and uh, an entrepreneur uh, should report to them. That's not how business works. An entrepreneur is the driving force of a company. He or she is the center. And we around and him or her are just supporting the business. That's how I see it. Okay, so, so you, you bring in a very interesting uh, data point in terms of how the investment climates are different here and in uh, Eastern European countries. And so we will definitely talk about that in, a, in the next uh, segment as well. Uh, but I just want to sort of close this segment with, uh, you know, one last comments from you in terms of how should I evaluate my investors as an, as an entrepreneur? How should you evaluate? Um, well, you know, it's a long-term relationship. So uh, when uh, a company decides to go this fundraising round, First of all, they need to realize that they won't be you know, like fully in control because once you take a partner and once somebody gets you know, part of your equity, part of your company, then uh, it will have to, you'll have to figure out how to make decisions. Now, certain decisions should be left to the management of the company, but then uh, strategically, when you decide uh, on something which um, should, um, you know, taken into consideration a long-term period, then, uh, yeah, you will have to listen to your board, and the board usually is comprised of your investors. Okay, so we'll come back and uh, look at it more in the next segment. Thank you. Okay. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. When you think about all of the business success stories, have you ever stopped to think that many of the most successful stories have come from failure? We'll hear about these stories each week on Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner with Dr. C, the academic entrepreneur. Dr. C is Dr. Cheryl Lentz. With her guest experts, she'll teach you all about failure and how, with its understanding, you can succeed at just about anything. Listen Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. 
If you are interested in the business of rental equipment, be sure to check out Rental Equip Talk Radio with host Donald Charbonnet. We talk to some of the top names in the rental industry, as well as cover topics that include safety, training, fleet management, legal issues, and more. We'll also cover the history and future of the rental equipment industry. Rental Equip Talk Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. We're back with uh, Sasha uh, Johnson, and uh, we were talking earlier about what, how should an entrepreneur uh, look at their investors since uh, she's been a venture capitalist uh, as well. Uh, so in this particular section, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, the, the topic we touched barely in the last section about the uh, Eastern European investors and entrepreneurs and since Sasha has an extensive background in this area and so I'm going to let her uh, tell us a little bit more about her experience in the Eastern European world what has she been doing and what are the other things uh, she's working on. Yeah it's nice to be back with you. Um, um, As I said in my previous um, statement that we sometimes do not plan what we do uh, but looking back, it was it has been planned. <laughs> and it turns out I, I I always wanted to do something in uh, that part of the world, uh, which was so different business wise. And yes, I grew up in, in Soviet Union, but I never worked there. It it, um, it happened so that all my business education, both theoretical and practical, has happened in Silicon Valley. So when uh, we decided to um, have a fund. In, in, in Russia in 2006, to me, it was a, a totally different world, different from the country I've known growing up because it's like many, uh, not just many years later, but also, you know, I grew up in Soviet Union, but then Russia was not Soviet Union when we, when we showed up. And uh, if I were to compare... Actually, it's impossible to compare and nobody should be comparing because it's... Yep. It's every country is different. And when it comes to Russia, uh, saying anything like, okay, we need to build the uh, Silicon Valley there. Uh, no, Silicon Valley is in Silicon Valley. Uh, mm-hmm. So let's talk about the uh, elements of this entrepreneurial innovation ecosystem, which has to exist in order for a company, to, a small company, a startup to survive. And of course, obviously, it starts with an entrepreneur and even though um, back then people really didn't know that word, uh, entrep- this entrepreneurial spirit always existed. But mm-hmm. then you need to have other elements which will allow that uh, company to survive and grow. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to start a company and it's easy to lose a company. And, and uh, um, again, um, 
we didn't have any shortage of entrepreneurial ideas. But when, um, I, I, if I were again to compare, and again, we're going back, it's 2006, it's more than what, 12 years ago. Uh, people will have an idea, they would, it will be a solid idea, science-based idea, technology would be uh, on the level that, you know, if it happened in Silicon Valley, it would have become a big company. Mm-hmm. People didn't know what a business model is. They didn't have an, an understanding that if you build something, you need to sell something. Mm-hmm. The approach, we build, they come, never works. And, uh, and marketing as a concept just didn't exist. So if I, again, were to, well, with, with years, it's gradually changing. But still, I, I think that is the hardest thing for Eastern European entrepreneurs in general to sell what they have. Because it's just not in, in that culture. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's probably, you know, since I come from the Indian culture where while growing up, we were also told, hey, you, you shouldn't talk a lot about yourself. And uh, so even as an individual, you never learn to talk about yourself, which is, uh, you know, not like uh, what is needed in this country uh, and in the world in, in general. So I, I totally agree with you. And you mentioned that there are a lot of entrepreneurs who can do science and technology. And you brought up a very interesting point that selling and marketing is not their strong suite. So how do you, I mean, what did you have to do to make <laughs> that realization for them? Because, you know, they have to realize before you can do anything as an investor, I would imagine. Yeah, you know, I think what, what helped me um, in uh, that dialogue that I remembered even my first, uh, uh, you know, first months in, in a business school, my, uh, my biggest problem was not, not, not knowing the subject. Okay? That's, that's another conversation. But I, I literally couldn't bring myself up into interrupting a professor. Mm. That, that's how I considered, <laughs> I considered it an interruption. Yet that was called uh, class participation. Right, or lack thereof. Right? So it's it just that that's cultural. You just don't interrupt. A professor. <laughs> so when I was trying to explain to my uh, companies in Russia that you need to start selling before you finish building, I, and they just look, and they just look at me like, well, "What do you mean? We cannot sell it. We have not built it." I said, "Well, yes, you have to, because that 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 that's what will happen. Because the market will be changing, technology will be changing, and uh, you will have to uh, adjust to all those changes." And that was before the word pivot was so popular. Right, because if you finish building something, and yes, and it is beautiful and it's shining and whatever products you have, but nobody will buy it because by now the market has turned. There's no point. So start selling while you build, and uh, that that was one of the hardest things. Um, another one was uh, they all wanted you to sign an NDA, and we would go, no, we do not sign NDAs. If you don't trust an investor with uh, your technology, don't even go and talk to that investor because, you know, we, we, we can't. We see a lot of companies and uh, we do not want to be dealing with legal issues only because you think that what you've created is so unique, yet we saw six other companies in the same space. So that was another big thing. So, so before you go to the next point, I just want to make sure that people understand that, you know, NDA, i.e. the non-disclosure agreements, um, none of the investors sign it because even in Silicon Valley, I still encounter entrepreneurs who say, oh, you know, can I have 
the investors sign an NDA and I have to tell them, uh, no, it's not done and nobody will do that. And you're saying that that was quite an uphill task for you to convince them that that's the right way. And, you know, to some extent, they, they probably don't have that faith in their investment ecosystem. So it probably happened for that reason, too, I would imagine, right? Oh, yes, yes, exactly. Because, uh, I, I, again, now we can go deeper into that, but probably it, it's, it, it's clear that uh, this investment business, uh, a lot of it is built on trust. Mm-hmm. And, and that is something that Silicon Valley by now has because uh, if you are not straightforward in business, then nobody will work with you. You can cheat once, but that will be it. And, 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 and that's good enough that, that that level of trust is good enough. You don't, you don't need to you know, <laughs> create a huge legal document around it. it just, it's a very straightforward business. Uh, another point uh, which uh, um, I want to make about the differences and the, I, I don't know, not I mean, cultural, not, I, no, it's not cultural, I guess, business approach. Uh, business model. When we ask for a business model of a company and instead uh, an entrepreneur will go in this deep description of the technology, how elements move here, and I said, no, business model is for you to tell me what market you see what share of that market you think you will grab and tell me why you will do it and you'll succeed. That's a business model. I mean, how will you get there? Right. <laughs> so that is one of the uh, hardest things still trying to, 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 to get stuff out of this beautiful description of the technology. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And as we always say, explain it in a way uh, well, not an eight-year-old would understand you, but ideally, ideally. So when people start throwing all those complicated words at you and long sentences, and, and after five minutes, you still don't understand what the business is about, well, it means that that business is not ready for an investment. It has to be so crisp. It has to be so easy to understand that, that, that that's it. That would be another difference. That's why, uh, for example... Uber, well, we can, yeah, Uber has all kinds of issues. We're not going to discuss that. But as a business model, right, that's it. It's not that the, that Eastern European world didn't have those, you know, services before. I've used them all the time when I lived there. You know, my mother called it a gypsy car. Right? Right. <laughs> but it, it had to happen in the U.S., in Silicon Valley, that that simple idea of riding with strangers was turned into a business model, which created a huge company. And um, again, but the idea, you know, it, it wasn't a new idea. The same with Airbnb. There's nothing new about that idea. But it became possible to build the company only in Silicon Valley, and we can talk about it later. Why? I, mean, I think it was not just the Silicon Valley, but obviously timing, um, you know, technology changes occurred. But yes, you are right uh, that Silicon Valley took the lead because... It understands the business model. In fact, I teach um, one of the classes on business models and business models have become really complicated, right? They're they're not as simple as they used to be. Yeah. And so do you see any kind of evolution or any innovation in business model that is coming out of, uh, you know, Russia and other Eastern European countries that you see on the horizon? You know, it's uh, fascinating when once in a while I remind myself of my own life journey. 
that I can take this, uh, you know, thousand feet view on what, what's happening. Um, when I was growing up, for example, not every family had a telephone. It was a luxury, really, in the apartment building. And then uh, Russia did that huge leap into the next generation. And uh, telecom in Russia actually was much better developed than at the time when I showed up. And like, if you remember 2003, 2004, what was mm-hmm. happening to the US telecom, that was brutal. So in that sense, uh, uh, what I saw in Russia was much more advanced. And uh, speaking of new business models, uh, what's happening right now, this, you know, this revolution with all digital uh, and again, the blockchain based companies, I see uh, a lot of movement from mm-hmm. countries like Russia, uh, other countries in Eastern Europe, they have embraced, they have embraced this new movement. So hold that thought for a minute. I'll, I will be back after the break and I want to uh, talk about that more. So we'll be back soon. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. When you think about all of the business success stories, have you ever stopped to think that many of the most successful stories have come from failure? We'll hear about these stories each week on Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner with Dr. C, the academic entrepreneur. Dr. C is Dr. Cheryl Lentz. With her guest experts, she'll teach you all about failure and how, with its understanding, you can succeed at just about anything. Listen Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. If you are interested in the business of rental equipment, be sure to check out Rental Equip Talk Radio with host Donald Charbonnet. We talk to some of the top names in the rental industry, as well as cover topics that include safety, training, fleet management, legal issues, and more. We'll also cover the history and future of the rental equipment industry. Rental Equip Talk Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today.
Kunal. We are back uh, with Sasha Johnson uh, for the next part of this podcast. And uh, before the break, uh, we were talking about uh, the experience uh, that she's had working with the, uh, you know, Russian and other Eastern European uh, entrepreneurs. And one thing that was clear is that, you know, you got to learn to sell before you build. In fact, first thing is you got to learn to sell and market. And then we were just starting to talk about the business models. And one of the things that uh, I had asked her is what are the innovation as you see in the business model that are likely to be coming uh, from Eastern European countries. And uh, we just started talking about this before the break. So I'm going to go back to that topic first and uh, expand a little bit more, uh, Sasha, in terms of uh, your uh, thing from last uh, session about the Bitcoin. Uh Yes. So go ahead and, you know, kind of tell our listeners a little bit more about first maybe the Bitcoin versus blockchain and then talk about why that model you think is likely to uh, bring innovation, uh, which is maybe not happening in the U.S. this time. Well, uh, I think eventually uh, Silicon Valley will become the center of it again. It's just we're waiting for uh, regulations, especially from the you know security exchange committee, because uh, it it will have to happen because the blockchain uh, has existed before. It's just Bitcoin made it popular because the that that's what you know the basis uh, is. And uh, I, I don't want to go deep into details as to what, you know, the blockchain technology is, but what it does basically, you cannot change the ledger. It just, whatever is written just stays there. It mm-hmm. means that you cannot make any changes in the documents. So that, and that by itself is, is, is huge. And um, instead of having, I don't know, pounds and kilograms of papers, it all can be streamlined. And as a result, uh, a lot of other processes will become much easier and um, straightforward, and it will be yes, written in stone. You cannot change that. Now, that will not um, eliminate the fact that if the input is false, it will just stay there forever. But and you cannot change the, right. But you cannot change the the, the ledger, and. Um, and it happens so that Eastern Europe and Russia in particular have embraced these technologies so fast that uh, a lot of companies and funds being created uh, around it it's growing in number daily. I don't know, every hour there would be a company uh, created. And, 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 and I think that that is an example of an inflow of uh, new um, technology-based companies coming to Silicon Valley and not, not, not outside. Uh, yesterday, I was at an event in San Francisco, uh, several thousand people, and they were all about talking about just blockchain-based companies. And I would say half of them um, were from Eastern Europe. And, and that, is, that, that, that is remarkable. That is remarkable. That is very new. Yeah, I mean, I don't <laughs> think I've ever seen that many companies uh, coming uh, from that block. So, but, it, you know, before we go further on this, I just want to do one clarification for our listeners, which is you mentioned that and blockchain is a technology which is used, which is used in Bitcoin and so that's where Bitcoin became popular, which is one of the cryptocurrencies, and there are many others. But we're not just talking about cryptocurrencies here. We're talking about using this whole 
blockchain technology to solve various issues and problems in uh, you know in the world. So so it isn't about just Bitcoin. I just want to make sure that um, absolutely yeah, that's that's a really good clarification because uh, the um, blockchain based companies now are literally beginning to disrupt uh, old industries like banking and insurance. Uh, we see blockchain-based companies and healthcare. So it's all the industries like really will be experiencing these revolutionary changes. And, uh, and most of these companies, for some reason, come from Eastern Europe. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 fascinating. it's fascinating. Why do you think that is? Um, well, I think that uh, when internet happened, uh, Eastern Europe was not really a player at that point in the in, in the market and when it comes to technology uh, because they were like in, in, in Russia uh, for example was just coming out this breakup of you know, disappearance of Soviet Union trying to figure out a lot of stuff for the economy so internet uh, happened in the US and then it was distributed like all over the world but it, it, it started here in the US now with this new movement of uh, blockchain-based companies, it, I don't know, it didn't start here. <laughs> mm. It was distributed around the world. And I think that by now there is this new generation of entrepreneurs who are in their 20s now. It means these are the kids after Soviet Union, right? Mm -hmm. So they grew up in this new world and their world is so different from the world where their parents lived or uh, like, you know, a 20 year old now is not what a 20 year old was 40 years ago. Uh, the, the speed of change is so enormous that uh, if before the like sometimes, I don't know, we go back on um, invention of radio and whatever, there would be many, many decades in between inventions. Now we are moving with a lightning speed. Can you imagine that uh, we still remember how we're writing letters, right? Then we got email, boom. Then right. right, voice over internet, boom. <laughs> and, and it's the right. So the speed of innovation is uh, is just such that the twenty year old entrepreneurs now are absolutely different class of entrepreneurs, and they are unstoppable, and they have the technology at their fingers. And they're creating companies uh, which will change the way we do everything. So, uh, and, and it gave a chance to the rest of the world to finally become uh, players on equal footing because this is the this is a new technology which, oh yeah, it's happening. It's just happening. And, and in Eastern Europe, as an active a player as anybody in the U.S. So I think you mentioned uh, earlier, and I want to bring back that point that, you know, technology and building a product is obviously one important aspect of an entrepreneurship, but what differentiates a successful entrepreneur from not so successful one is how good a job they do in uh, sales and marketing and what kind of, um, you know, ecosystem is there around them to make them successful. Um, so in this regard, what, what does the ecosystem look like in, in, uh, you know, in Eastern Europe and in Russia and other places? What, what can you tell us about it? How is, how is the ecosystem today? How is it evolving? And, you know, what are the entrepreneurs doing to sort of mm -hmm. stay on the cutting edge of, you know, trying to make success? Right. 
uh, if you look at this on the surface, the um, innovation entrepreneur, uh, I mean, entrepreneurial system on the surface looks the same everywhere. You can just, you know, single out several elements. Yes, you need to have an entrepreneur, you need to have an investor, you need to have a solid education base. And Eastern Europe, you know, has terrific universities and, and uh, education. Then, of course, the legal system has to be straightforward. A country needs to be stable. Mm-hmm. Because for uh, a company to survive, you know, <laughs> it has a lot of internal turmoil. So adding to it the outside, um, yeah, elements of disruption are not helpful. And so the, these elements again on surface on the surface uh, exist everywhere in the world. Yet, um, yet Silicon Valley is in Silicon Valley, and Eastern Europe does not have Silicon Valley. Why? So I would say that it's it's about the uh, culture and, and uh, the way we perceive um, people here in the in the US like to say um, don't be afraid to make mistakes and this by now famous like yes it's okay to fail it's not that people like failure but it's okay to make a mistake and so I would say that is that would be a huge again difference and not just for Eastern Europe um, Europe in general the tolerance for that is not as high in, in, in Europe in general, in Eastern Europe in particular. If your first company didn't work out, it's pretty much close to impossible to start the next one because um, the society is, would be punishing the person who, who failed. And, uh, and that, 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 that is huge. That's uh, not changing still, right? Right, yeah, it's still the case, at least that's from what I see. Uh, Another one, we have this camaraderie in Silicon Valley where successful people like to share their success and experience and actually will let you in and explain how they did things and how they do things, and they enjoy doing it. In Eastern Europe, all successful entrepreneurs in, in technology um, but and then we'll talk about it. I imagine uh, later that at some point they all move their companies to the U.S. Right. Mm-hmm. So the a community of successful people in Eastern Europe who will go and share the experience. That community is not that big. Mm-hmm. Not that big. And as a result, they have to listen to all those consultants uh, who come and lecture and explain things without understanding what they're explaining because they know the theory, but they have not built companies themselves. So that will be another problem on that the community is really small of people, of experts who are willing to mentor, coach, and share the knowledge. And, uh, and then, yeah, and then the investment class, you know, if you look uh, at Europe and Eastern Europe in, in particular, Private money is still hesitant to go into high-tech companies, you know, because that money traditionally in Eastern Europe was made in other sectors. And uh, people who made money in high-tech, I don't know, in Russia, in Hungary, no, not that many. (laughs) So they don't understand the game um, when they even decide to put money. And then when you expect that somebody from outside the country will come in and start investing in local startups. Well, that investor is asking that question. If Mm -hmm. your local money is not going into high tech, why do you want me to put money in your high tech? Mm 
what do you know that I don't know? <laughs> okay, so let's uh, let's take a break and we will uh, come back and then uh, wrap it up in the next section. Okay. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. When you think about all of the business success stories, have you ever stopped to think that many of the most successful stories have come from failure? We'll hear about these stories each week on Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner with Dr. C, the academic entrepreneur. Dr. C is Dr. Cheryl Lentz. With her guest experts, she'll teach you all about failure and how, with its understanding, you can succeed at just about anything. Listen Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. If you are interested in the business of rental equipment, be sure to check out Rental Equip Talk Radio with host Donald Charbonnet. We talk to some of the top names in the rental industry, as well as cover topics that include safety, training, fleet management, legal issues, and more. We'll also cover the history and future of the rental equipment industry. Rental Equip Talk Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. back with uh, Sasha Johnson and uh, before the break we were talking about the ecosystems that exist in Eastern European countries and how uh, blockchain has uh, sort of created a new ecosystem of various entrepreneurs trying to do things differently and one of the things that we were uh, mentioning in the ecosystem that makes Silicon Valley successful is that the successful people like to share and Sasha had mentioned last time that it's not always the case uh, in Eastern European countries. And uh, also, once they become successful, they tend to move. So I just wanted to expand uh, a little bit more on that um, 
and get your experience on like if the startup has succeeded say in the country in their home country and the markets are still small what do you recommend they should do uh yeah i think the first thing uh, um a company needs to understand what space they are in if uh, they are playing on the domestic market and it's okay you know if uh, that's where they want to make money and build their businesses it's fine but if they're building a technology with the potential of becoming global that company has uh, the rules which need to be implemented right away and the foundation needs to be built as if it's a global company already and i'm not encouraging every company move to uh, america no absolutely not mm-hmm. uh, you know there are big companies in, in in eastern europe that are happy being there because that's that's what their market is and a great example of that will be yandex in in, in russia right mm-hmm. you can call it the russian google but it's yandex they're huge mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and they uh, cannot move anywhere and they should not be moving anywhere because that's the market they're servicing Mm-hmm. But if you build a company with the potential of becoming um, the next, I don't know, Facebook or whatever, then of course you need to go closer to a market which is bigger than the one in which you are at the moment. And that company absolutely should come to Silicon Valley because uh, that's where the um, the market is. Now China is China uh, only because they have this huge domestic market. And they can create their own, you know, Baidu and everything else because uh, that, that's, you know, they, that, that's a huge market. Now, if you're a small country, uh, I mean, we're talking just geographies here. <laughs> All countries are huge, right? But, I mean, in terms of the market. And uh, you build a big company, say, um, the, uh, say, the Romanian unicorn, for example, Prezi, right? Uh, yeah, it happened. It started in Romania, but then uh, they, they had to go outside, and uh, the European, Eastern European companies uh, either go to the US or London. I don't know where they'll go now after what's happening in London, but um, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's the story. If you have a global technology, go to a global market. If you're a local player, play locally. There's nothing wrong with that. And I always uh, like to mention this great Russian poet, Pushkin, right? Who, who is, in my mind, bigger than Shakespeare. But Shakespeare is known because, you know, it's an English-speaking world. And, uh, and Pushkin is really hard to translate. I guess people know Evgeny or Negin or whatever, but that's about it. But Pushkin is, is huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that would be um, a domestic Russian phenomenon. And yes, if you're Yandex, you're Yandex, you play in Russia. If you're a new Facebook, come play in the world, come to Silicon Valley. And so then, yeah. You mentioned uh, something that I want to bring up. Uh, you said, you know, if you want to be a global company, uh, start playing with the rules. Uh, and what, what would those rules be in your mind that the company that has a global ambition should start playing with? Well... I should start with a good law firm. <laughs> That's, that would be my recommendation because uh, I've seen so many interesting companies coming from Eastern Europe where um, their documents were so poorly written that uh, some not very good players will take advantage of them only because uh, 
you know, if you don't understand the fine print in the document, then uh, uh, well, when they're small, you, you don't care. But mm -hmm. then after that small print, uh, somebody big just gobbles you up and you don't know what happened to you. So I would say build a legal foundation first. Have your company registered properly. All the documentation has to be clean. And, uh, uh, and do not take any investment money from entities you don't understand. And because otherwise you'll, you'll lose control of what you're building. And, uh, and then understand your market. And uh, sometimes when, uh, when a small company, a beginning company, is in a dire need of financing, sometimes they take that financing from the entities that would, and these entities, like their only goal is to make sure that a new competitor uh, is, not <laughs> is not powerful enough. So have to be very, very, very careful. And uh, um, technology is great, but technology without a business acumen, without an understanding how to play the business game is really nothing. Mm -hmm. Then it becomes a science a research project, which is okay too. But then don't confuse the research project with the business. Mm -hmm. And so that would be rule number two. Three, the team. team is everything. Only the team will help you survive in this very difficult world. So, you know, I, I worked a lot with uh, Israeli entrepreneurs and they seem to have perfected this model where the technology gets developed in Israel, but, uh, you know, they build a team here in the U.S. which helps them uh, in uh, sales and marketing and operation areas and they seem to have done a very successful model. And it seems like you are kind of suggesting that if you have global ambitions, that model really works and one should actually emulate that to some extent. Yeah, Israel is a perfect ex example for that because Israel uh, has um, like really wealth of uh, talent and uh, science and, and entrepreneurs, but also because they were aware from day one that their market technology market is small. They were building companies from day one with this uh, goal of uh, expanding and, and, and going global. And they have figured out uh, this model where, yes, you take a local technology, but then you bring business people who are really savvy in building businesses. And the best Israeli companies are, are that combination, uh, local engineering, science talent, and uh, U.S. business people. It's a perfect combination, and that's why Israel has been so successful in the global market. Mm -hmm. So we are um, coming pretty close to the end of this uh, conversation, and I'd like to see if there are things that we missed that you think uh, we should know about. Uh, I'd love to hear that first. Oh, just to be clear that I do travel around the world, and, and uh, I've seen um, many countries, and I have to say that Eastern Europe is a very special place where uh, the this talent, this raw talent and this engineering depth is such mm -hmm. that um, they, they, they already are big players and uh, unicorns do happen in Eastern Europe. You know, I would have mentioned the Yandex in Russia and, you know, people like to say that Skype came from Estonia and TransferWise and I already said this Romanian president. Mm -hmm. There will be more unicorns coming uh, out of that world they will for now all end up here in Silicon Valley only because of other conditions that Silicon Valley has. But uh, I, I just want to strengthen one time more that the talent I see in Eastern Europe, in Russia, 
is just so impressive. And these people will, will continue to change the world and the technology has no borders. So. Thank you. That's excellent. So thanks a lot, Sasha. Uh, this was an enlightening session. So thank you very much.